0: than later, uh but he's out there with um michaela and uh and I think did they get the new dog? You're not gonna keep him, okay, he's on the hunt for the perfect dog okay, oh no, Oh, yeah, so so we're gonna find the perfect soft footed pup uh for Richard and Michaela. Uh, but we'll, uh, let's, um, do our confession and then we'll pray. We'll get into the word tonight. And, uh, I know two of you are expecting and been talking to the Lord about the service. Uh, but I think there needs to be some more conversation because I still don't know what we're preaching tonight. (laughs) So, uh, let's get into this. Do we have our confession for the screen, Mari? Is it coming? Just for everybody in the house, give it a chance. That's okay. Here we go. All right, let's confess this together. This is my Bible. It is always true and the final authority. My Bible is God talking to me. I read this word daily. I meditate on this word day and night. This word is rooted and grounded in my heart. This word feeds and grows my spirit. Therefore, my flesh does not control me. I walk according to the Spirit. I am a child of God. I have the mind of Christ. God's thoughts are my thoughts. God's words are my words. God's actions are my actions. I am a doer of the Word. Glory to God. It's so important that we be doers and not hearers only. How much you know uh, James, which was actually the brother of Jesus, actually said uh, that when we are hearers only, we deceive ourselves. And we don't want to be deceived, so we want to be sure to be doers of the word. Doers of the word. So uh, let's pray, and then we'll get into the word. And if it's all right with you, we're just going to let the Holy Spirit lead. Glory to God. and even if it's not okay with you, we're just going to let the Holy Spirit lead, because I don't know any other way to do it. So, Father, we come to you in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, oh, it's such an honor and a privilege to be in your presence. Father, we come before you with thanksgiving. We're so thankful. Oh, for your creative power. We're so thankful for your provision. We're thankful that you're our buckler and our shield and our strong tower. Oh, Lord, we're so thankful that you hold us right in the palm of your hands. And, Father, we give you glory and honor. For you are, oh, Lord Jesus, oh, the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and who is to come. And, Father, we just give you glory and honor and praise. Now, Father, as we approach your word tonight, Father, not by my plan, not by my ideas, not by the suggestions of the people, but by your hand. Father, you know, you search, your spirit searches the hearts of every man and woman. And Father, you know the need. You know what they need to hear. You know what they need. And so, Father, we just ask that you think through my mind and speak through my lips the very oracles of God. Use my tongue as that of the pen of the ready writer to reveal the, to reveal the oracles of God. And, Father, lead us, guide us, direct us. While some things may be familiar to us, some things may not be. But, Father, your word is ever new and everlasting. It's the living word. And it brings newness of life to us every time we read it. And so, Father, as we approach your word today humbly and with great fear, honor, and reverence of the Father God Almighty, we ask that the Holy Spirit within leads, guides, and directs. And, Father, we ask that you give every person an ear to hear and an eye to see and a heart to receive upon the good ground of their spirit. And, Father, we thank you, we glorify you, we magnify you, and we give you all the praise and all the honor in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Now, glory to God. Uh, just some kind of just dropped right, and I just the Lord just kind of dropped it. Uh, you know, I've had several people tell me. They go, oh, you pack so much good in the Word, but you go too fast. You go so fast, I can't catch it. Well, let me tell you, I'm not preaching to your head. Let me help you with this. I'm not preaching to your head. I'm preaching to your spirit. We're preaching to your spirit, and your, your head may have a speed limiter, a, a governor. Your head may have a governor on it to where it can only catch and receive so much, but your spirit is alive onto God, and your spirit can catch things that you don't even realize you're catching. So one way to catch with your spirit is to um is to be interactive in the service, not disrespectful, not disreverent, not taking over, but as you know, you there may be something powerfully said that you recognize, well that was God, but I surely didn't understand it. I'm not even sure that I caught it. Uh that's okay. Just say amen. Just say uh I receive it. Uh Father, that's for me. Well, just say, say something out of your mouth because faith speaks. Do you hear me? Say something out of your mouth. Why? Because faith speaks. We receive by speaking. You receive the things of God by speaking. Somebody needs to write that down. You receive the things of God by speaking. By speaking. Now, I've been walking this walk for uh, with God. I mean, I've been with... I I knew God when I was a small child, but I didn't know what I had. I was in an, I was in a denominational church, and they taught the way Pastor Tommy used to say it is they used to teach the ABCs of faith, your basics. But it wasn't until I got around the word of faith and charismatics and things like that that I began to get the D through Z of the of the rest of the gospel of Christ. So as a small child, I received Jesus. And I had and down on the inside, in what we refer to as our knower or our spirit, I knew that I knew that I was heaven bound, all the way up into my teenage years. But you know, there's something about getting in the teenage years that the devil gets a hold of the mind and brings rebellion again uh, with most people. And uh, though I didn't have a desire to rebel against God, I didn't have enough word to understand what I had, and I didn't. And, and, and essentially, what I knew was God was the Father, Jesus Christ was the Son, and he died on the cross for me, and I needed to receive him as Savior to be saved, and that there was a Holy Ghost, and the Holy Ghost was the third part of the Godhead, but that was all we knew about the Holy Ghost. And how much you know? We need the Holy Ghost in this day and this hour. In fact, we live in the dispensation of the Holy Ghost, but we weren't taught about the Holy Ghost. The other thing we weren't taught about was the devil. We were taught that that Satan and the devil were one and the same um and that he was bad and to stay away from him. That's what we knew. He was bad and stay away from him. How do you stay away from him? We don't know, just do it. We don't know how to stay away from him, just stay away from him. Well, what's it what what's he look like? We don't know. <laughs> Well, I said, what do we look like? Well, you know, we had that image of, you know, Bugs Bunny and, and Sylvester and all them, you know, in the cartoons. They had the angel on the one shoulder, and they had the little red dude with the horns and the pitchfork and the tail with the point on it. You know, that was the devil. And honestly, that's what I thought the devil was. I didn't understand who he was. Uh, until I, and, and, and because of that, Michael and I went off into the world for about 12 years. And it it was in the beginning, how much, you know, when you get away from God, it's a slow fade. You know, you kind of, you don't realize that you're moving away from God until you're away from God. And then you don't even realize you're away from God. All you know is things are happening. Life's not functioning the way life should be functioning. And you're in a hot mess. And down on the inside, there's a pit on the inside. And you're just like, something's missing. And uh, one day I just broke and I sat on my bed. And Charlotte, and I just cried out to the Lord. I just cried out to God. I hadn't talked to him in over 12 years. And I I just cried out to him and said, "Uh, God, I want to come home. And I was referring coming back to Murphy. I wasn't in my head. Listen, you'll say things to God that your head won't understand, but your heart will understand it. Your spirit, your knower will understand it. And I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, I just cried on my bed. And I said, I'm so miserable. I just want to come home. And so we came, and, and, and I mean, God just went to work supernaturally, and uh, and uh, part of how He got our attention is we thought mom was in a cult. Found out no, she was just learning D through Z of the things of God, and uh, I set out to prove that God was a uh, that that who that the church she was in was a cult, and lo and behold, I found God. How much you know? God will meet you in places you never knew He would meet you. He will. Well, how much you know? He did that with Paul really saw go to the turn to the book of acts i had no idea i was going here but let's go to the book of acts i got to go this way to get to the book of acts from where i was uh, let's go to the book of acts and let's turn to Let's go to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Now, there was a man by the name of Saul. Uh, Acts chapter 9, verse, when, verse 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went, into, went into the, onto the high priest. So Saul, we, now, we know that Saul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Uh, we know that he was uh, persecuting the church. We know that he was laying waste to the New Testament church. Uh, and he was he was just creating all kinds of problems. Well, this is where the Lord gets a hold of, of, of Saul. And it said, and so he went to the high priest. In other words, he went to the Jewish high priest. He was the Pharisees the Pharisees. And he was going to get letters under the law to give him permission to go persecute Christians, and, he, and it said, and he desired of and, and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that uh, if he found any of this way, rather they were men or women. Notice he was going after the men and the women. Uh, he might bring them uh, bound to Jerusalem. Now I don't know how well you know how well you know uh, your geography, uh, but um, Judea, Jerusalem, all of this area kind of borders and lines the Mediterranean. So you got let me get, let me explain it to you this way: you got Africa right here, then you've got Arabia right here, and then the land kind of goes up from the water. And this if this land up here is where you find. Uh, uh, Jerusalem is kind of not too far. Jerusalem's kind of here, at least in Paul's day. Jerusalem's down here, and Damascus, and you got to kind of got to go up to the top. And when you get to the top, is where Tarsus is. That's where Paul was from. So Paul was traveling great distances uh, to go and and uh, root out these Christians in Damascus on his way to Jerusalem. Basically, he was coming down from Tarsus. He was coming all the way through what we refer to as the Holy Lands. He was coming all the way through the Holy Lands, and he was looking for men and women that were following this Jesus. And uh, he was on this road, and it says, as he journeyed, he came from from Damascus, and suddenly there shined Round about him a light from heaven. And uh, and, and he, now this was not just like a small light. This wasn't like the sun came out from behind a cloud. This was a blinding light. A blinding light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecute thou me? Now if you have a red letter edition, those words are in red. In other words, out of this light spoke Jesus himself. And Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Well, was Paul persecuting Jesus himself? No, because Jesus was, had, already been, had already died, been buried, risen, and ascended into heaven. But he was persecuting his church. Listen, when people come against the people of the church, God takes it personally. He takes it personally. Uh, and Paul responded, it says, and he said, who, out, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecute. Listen, when people come against the church of the living God, the right and proper church, the one called, anointed, appointed, and provided by, by God, Jesus uh, takes that very personally because Jesus says, that's me. How much you know we are members of his body, and his body is the church assembled. He said, no, I don't like that. He said, he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecute. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. In other words, Jesus called out something in Saul that Saul would not admit to anybody. Most people don't realize this. Jesus works on the inside. He doesn't work on the brain. And even though Saul, from a mental standpoint, from his mental understanding, he thought everything he was doing was right according to the Jewish law. But Jesus said, isn't it hard for you to kick against the pricks? In other words, he said, why were these Christians so offensive to Saul and the fellow Jews? Why was it so offensive? Because it was contrary to what they understood about their Messiah. Because even though they were speaking truth, it went against their mental understanding. How much do you know when we talk to people about Christ, how much do you know it it goes against their mental understanding? But yet somehow down on the inside, they know that it's true. I have sat with many a sinners, and I have begun to talk to them about the truth of Jesus Christ. And they'll say, I don't understand, but I know that what you're telling me is true. Why? Because there's something on the inside pricking their heart. What is that something? It's the Spirit of God. It's the power of God. And so what Jesus was saying to, Paul, to Saul who, who we later become to know as Paul, uh, he what what Jesus was saying is he was saying Paul he was saying Saul, do you not know in your heart that what you're doing is wrong? He actually said uh, Saul, isn't it hard to go against what you know to be true in your in your heart? That's what he was talking to him about. And so he said and um, and it says let's keep going. And he, and he, trembling, astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told there uh, what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. So remember, Paul, Saul wasn't traveling on the road to Damascus by himself. He had a troop with him. Now they uh, they heard they saw the light and they heard and they heard the voice uh, or they heard the voice but they saw no man. They, they didn't know who was talking to them. And then in verse eight it says, "And Saul arose from the earth. Remember he was plastered. And when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. He was struck blind. Uh, but they led him by the hand and brought him." into Damascus, and he was, uh, it says, and he was uh, there, uh, or he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink, how much do you know, the Lord got his attention, he didn't eat, he didn't drink, all he did, he was blind, he couldn't see the things of the world, he went to where his men took him, and he sat there for three days alone, just him and God, just him and God. And now we get, when we read on in the book of Acts, we find out that the Lord sends Ananias and he lays hands on him and he's filled with the Holy Ghost. And it looks like from the book of Acts that, that Saul starts going by the name of Paul, which is his middle name, and he just starts just doing all of this great work in the name of Christ. But Acts gives us the highlights. Acts doesn't actually tell us how long what things transpired. So I want to go to the book of Galatians. We just got done doing a study of Revelations, and I was talking to the Lord, and I was like, Lord, I don't know where we need to go from here. Um, We did the book of end. Maybe we should go back and do the book of beginning, because honestly, if you've not read the book of Genesis, there's a lot in the New Testament that you won't understand. So if you've never read the book of Genesis, I encourage you to read the book of Genesis. And so I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, do we need to go and and go over the book of Genesis? And the Lord said, no, that's not where my current anointing is. Okay, Lord, does that mean that we don't talk about Genesis at all? No, we do. In fact, we're going to pull some things out of Genesis probably tonight if time allows. But uh, he he said, I don't want you focused there. I don't want you sitting there Uh, because there's 30, I think, 35 or 36 uh, chapters in Genesis. And if it takes us... um, I mean, if we do two chapters a night, it's going to take us 15 weeks to get through Genesis. And uh, how much, you know, some chapters will take, you know, it would take longer than that. So the Lord said, no, I need you to move past that. And I said, okay, Lord, where do we need to go? And, uh, you know, and then I said, well, Lord, what about GEPC? Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Now, how I like to remember GEPC is God's... Uh, um, G-E-P-C, God's Education for Proper Conduct, is the way I like to, the way I like to uh, remember it. God's Education for Proper Conduct, because he talks a lot in Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians about how we, now being in Christ, should no longer behave and how we need to change and how we need to behave. So these books are great for building the character of God. And I said, so I kind of said, God, is that a good place to go? And I didn't have a no in my spirit, so I started to study here. And I I saw some things in Galatians that I never paid much attention to. And uh, so we're going to start off in Galatians, and we'll see if the Lord lets us go through all of these books or just how far he lets us go. So we're going to go to Galatians chapter 1. And I saw something amazing in Galatians chapter 1. And I said, and I told you, go to Galatians chapter 1. But the Lord just corrected me, said, that's not where I told you to start. Go to John chapter 14. Hold your place in Galatians. Go to John chapter 14. Come on. I said, we're going to follow the Holy Ghost, right? John chapter 14. We've got to see some things here. John chapter 14. Um, we're going to read verse 17. No, verse 14. Verse 14. 14? Hold on. Now we're going to read in John. Yeah, I was right the first time. John 17. John 7, John 14, verse 17. John 14, verse 17. Even the spirit of truth. Even the spirit of truth. Uh, He was just talking about, Jesus said, I'm going to pray to the Father, and he will give you another comforter, um, that he may abide with you forever. But specifically, notice he says, even the spirit of truth. I need you to underline that, mark that, highlight it, do something with it in your Bible. Whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him. For He dwelleth with you and shall be in you. So God, called, so Jesus said, I'm going to call for the Comforter. Now this is a very interesting word in um, in the Greek because it really means. So when Jesus is having this discussion with his disciples is at the Last Supper, and he's talking to them about it's his time to go to the cross. It's his time to leave. It's his time to go. Now, they've been with Jesus for three, three and a half years. And Jesus is the Messiah, and they know that Jesus is the Messiah. And everything about their life is completely dependent upon Jesus at this point. And now Jesus is going to leave them. And they are freaking out. They are greatly concerned. Because Jesus is... He's the one that tells them where to go, what to preach, what does God say. He's the one that tells them everything. He is the go-between between between them and the Father God, and now he's leaving. So now what are they going to do? It's very interesting that when Jesus says, I'm going to send you a comforter, this language that he uses in this conversation with his disciples basically says, I'm going to send you my duplicate. The one that's coming is exactly like me. He's going to talk to you like I talk to you. He's going to correct you like I correct you. He's going to comfort you like I comfort you. He's going to help you like I help you. This is, like, this is the language that he's saying. The one that's coming is exactly like me. Well, isn't that really cool? How cool is that? The one that is exactly like Jesus. He said He's not, not only is he going to walk with, see, Jesus was walking with them in the flesh. The one that's coming is exactly like Jesus only. The difference is, is he's going to dwell in you, dwell with you and be on the inside of you. See, the Holy Ghost only says and does what Jesus says and does. And Jesus only says and does what the Father says and does. So the, So in a sense, you can say the Father lives inside of me. Now, the reality is is the Father God is in heaven, but because he is an ident- because the Holy Spirit is a duplicate of Jesus and Jesus is a duplicate of the Father, guess what? The Father's in you, Jesus is in you. The Spirit of truth is in you. Now, that's very important. Now, I want you to jump over here to verse 26. I'm just going to show you a couple of things because this is when you get into when you see these truths and then you read in Galatians, you're going to be like, wait, what? So in John uh, chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus continues this language and he says, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, if you weren't sure who the Holy Ghost was earlier in the conversation, now, you know, the comforter is the Holy Ghost. Or the or the, comforter, or the Holy Ghost is our comforter. And uh, he says, whom the Father will send in my name. How do you receive the Holy Spirit? In Jesus' name. You say, Father? It's so simple. You say, Father, just like I received the new birth, I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And then, whoosh, the Holy Ghost comes in you and fills you from the edge of your toes all the way up to the ends of your hairs, out your fingertips. And I mean, you're full of the Holy Ghost. That's how, yes, you receive a measure of the Holy Ghost at the new birth. But that's not all the Holy Ghost you're ever going to receive. Remember when Jesus showed up after his resurrection. Remember he met his disciples and he breathed on them, and he said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Many people use that scripture to teach that's all the Holy Ghost you're ever going to need. But if that was true, why did Jesus tell, tell those same apostles to go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise which was the Holy Ghost? If that was all the Holy Ghost there was ever that they ever needed, why did Jesus tell them to go and wait for the Holy Ghost? Because there's another infilling of the Holy Ghost to be had. But, and what comes with that infilling? Oh, something miraculous comes with him. He said, verse 26, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, I could get stuck there, but I'm not going to. And he shall, oh my goodness, underline it, box it, make it a big to-do in your Bible. He shall do what? He shall teach you all things. The Holy Ghost will teach you all things. Why can the Holy Ghost teach you all things? Because He is the God of knowledge. God is the God of knowledge. Jesus is the God of knowledge. The Holy Ghost is the God of knowledge. They're one and the same, and he lives and dwells on the inside of you. There is nothing. You should never, a Christian should never let these words, I don't know, come out of their mouth. Never. If you have those words coming out of your mouth, it's because you're dependent on this thing up here and not this person down here. Did you hear me? If you're you're a Christian, you're saying, well, I just don't know. That's because you're leaning on your own understanding. You're leaning on the power of your brain, and you're not leaning on the one who's inside that has all knowledge. Because he'll tell you how to do absolutely everything. The Holy Ghost will make you a genius. He will make you a genius if you will lean on him. He said he will teach you all things and... Bring all things to your remembrance. There is no point in Christians getting, getting mental disorders where they can't remember anything. If that's happening to Christians, it's because of the fruit of their mouth. I'm not discounting medical conditions. We understand there's medical conditions out there. I understand that. But the Bible says that we live by the fruit of our mouth. It's the Bible tells us that God creates the fruit of our lips and that we will eat there of it. Uh, and, and so when you, when you are constantly saying, I don't remember, I don't remember, I don't remember, guess what's going to be created in your life? An inability to remember. That's what's going to be created. What you need to say is I have the Holy Ghost on the inside and he brings all things to my remembrance. I have a perfect Memory, I have the mind of Christ, the Holy Ghost teaches me all things, all things, all things, all things are coming to my remembrance, when I go to say something and, I, and it's not right there on the tip of my tongue, I say it's coming to me, the Holy Ghost is bringing it to me, why, because he is, because that's part of my promise from, from Jesus himself, He said, bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Some people will use that phrase right there as an excuse to say, well, he can't bring me every remembrance. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. God is always speaking. He is always speaking. He's the one that gives, if if it was lodged in your memory, uh, it was him that brought you the information in the first place. So if it's in there, he's, he he can bring it to you. Now go to uh 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. I promise we're coming back to Galatians. 1 John chapter 2, but this is so important because I saw something miraculous in Galatians that I thought, "Wow, God." Uh 1 John chapter 2 verse 27. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Look at this. It says, but the anointing. What is the anointing? The anointing is the power of God. The power of God, which you have received of him, abideth in you. When you receive the Holy Ghost in you, you receive the anointing, the power of God in you. Did you hear me? When you receive the Holy Ghost, you also receive the anointing, the power of God on the inside. He said, but the anointing which you have received of him abideth in you. And, and, look at this, you need not any man to teach you. Now, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Does that mean that I don't ever have to listen to another man in the day of my life? No, because God will use people in and around your life to help bring truth to you. You know, uh, husbands, God will use your wives to bring knowledge to you. Wives, God will use your husbands to bring knowledge to you. Parents, God will use your children to bring knowledge to you. Uh, Children, your parents will use Uh, Your parents or children, your God will use your parents, your grandparents, your aunts, your uncles, your cousins, your teachers, your teachers, uh, and other adults in your life to help bring you knowledge. Now, let me clarify this. So uh, uh, Satan can use people also. He can whisper things in their ear, which is why you need the anointing on the inside to say what you're being taught by man. Is that truth or false? Is that truth or false? Is what I'm being taught truth or false? Notice there's a colon here. He said, but as the same anointeth teaching you all things. what The anointing teaches you a few things. Only spiritual things. Only Bible things. No, all things. The Holy Spirit can teach you how to do all things. When you come up against a hard place in your life and, you're, and, and you are, you're looking at this like, I just don't know, instead of going, I don't know, no, go, okay, Holy Ghost, you're on the inside. You see what I'm up against. Teach me. Teach me. Teach me, Holy Ghost. He said, teaches all things and is what? Truth. What did verse 17 say that the Holy Ghost was? He was the spirit of truth. The Holy Ghost is never going to teach you something that is not true. Never apologize for the wisdom of the Holy Ghost that resides on the inside of you. Never. Never apologize for the wisdom of God on the inside of you. Now, don't use the wisdom of God to degrade people. But never apologize for it. And is no lie, the Holy Spirit will never lie to you. God will never lie to you. The Word of God will never lie to you. Never. That is Satan's job. And even as it was taught you, he shall, you shall abide in him. You being able to be taught is completely dependent on you dwelling with God. You spending time with God, you getting alone and getting still with God, and taking the time to hear Him. Listen, God will not. It is hard to hear the voice of God in the midst of chaos. It's very hard to hear the Holy Ghost in the midst of chaos. So uh, there are times that you're going to just have to say, "I need y'all to be quiet a minute." When somebody's talking to you and there's and there's chaos. Don't give an answer right out of of the gate. Get quiet, get still. What did Jesus do when those men brought that woman caught in the midst of adultery? How much do you know that was chaos? How much do you know that was chaos? These these Jewish leaders, now I want you to think about this. These Jewish leaders knew where this woman, and obviously a man because she wasn't committing adultery by herself, uh knew that this woman and this man were committing adultery, says that they were in the very act. In other words, more than likely they were not clothed, not clothed, uh, and, and that they grabbed the woman. Did they grab the man? No, they didn't grab the man. How much, you know, the women in the community are going, what about the man? What about the man? How much do you know a sister stand up for each other? Right. What about the man? How about you know this is chaos? And the men are dragging her out. Who knows what they're holding on to? She's naked. Her arm, her hand, her hair, who knows? And she's putting up a fight. And they bring her out in a public street in front of a 30-year-old, 30 to 33-year-old. I'm not sure the age of Jesus at the time. But let's just be blunt and frank. A 30-year-old man who was still a virgin. Now, let me tell you something. Jesus was all man He didn't have some special anointing that he was able to look at naked women and go yeah that doesn't interest me. <laughs> no, he was tempted the same as all of us. So they throw down throw down this naked woman. Why did they not grab the man? How much do you know that would not have been a temptation to Jesus. Last time I checked uh, our men are not like, you know, you grab a naked man and you throw him out in front of a, bunch, a crowd of men, the men go, whoo, that looks really... I don't think that normally happens. Not normally. Today's society is a little questionable, but not normally. It was to tempt Jesus, and it was utter chaos. What did Jesus do in the utter chaos? He knelt down. He didn't say a word. Now, they're all getting quiet because now they're all wondering, what is he doing? He's doing something to quiet the atmosphere. And he gets down and he starts to write in the sand. I heard one, per, one pastor say, I believe he was playing tic-tac-toe with Jesus. Do a tic-tac-toe mark and went, oh, and said, okay, Jesus, it's your turn. And then did an X. And then he did his thing. I heard another one say he sat down and he started to do pictures of animals with his finger, designing more animals to create. I don't know. Maybe he was creating the platypus or something. <laughs> Who knows? Another one suggested that he was doing like ge- geometric shapes. Somebody suggested that he wrote their sins down in the sand. Let me ask you a question. Does the Bible say what he wrote? Then does it matter? doesn't matter. What, what I believe he was doing is he was doing, he, was, he was doing an act to get them quiet. I believe he was quieting the chaos so he could hear from the Father God how to respond. And he got up after doodling in the sand, whatever it was, and he got up and he said to the men, He who is without sin cast the first stone. Because they had every legal right to, cast, to stone her. They had every legal right. So how do you get out of this mess? The father knows. And the father says, ask him this, Jesus. Okay, you want a or Go ahead. But it needs to be the one that has no sin. And guess what? They all turned around and they all left. Why? Because they all had sin. How much do you know the spirit that was upon Jesus that lives in us is a genius? And knows how to respond to every situation. Now let's go to Galatians. Now that we see, now that we see that the Holy Spirit teacheth a man, we've seen this in two scriptures now. The Bible tells us, let every word be established by two or three witnesses. Now, let's check out Galatians chapter 1 because it gets, I mean,. You know, a lot of times in the epistles, in chapter 1, I tend to just glaze through them because a lot of times they're just a greeting. A lot of times I just, I'm like, okay, he's greeting the people, get to the good stuff. But in Galatians chapter 1, verse 1, is some really good stuff. He said, Paul, an apostle, he tells us, Paul tells us exactly what ministry office he fills. He fills the office of apostle. But then check this out. He said, not of men. He said, I'm not an apostle because man made me an apostle. Neither, he said, not of men, neither by man. He said, it wasn't the He Look at this. He said, not of men. In other words, men did not educate me and teach me how to be an apostle. Then he said, not by man. In other words, it wasn't a man that put me in this office. It wasn't a man that put me in this office, but by Jesus Christ and the, and, the, and, of, um, and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Right out of the gate, right out of the gate. Now, Now think about this. Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He had been to Jewish school. And he said to those in Galatia, he said, my education doesn't come from man. Now, wait a minute, Paul, but you were a Pharisee of the Pharisees who went to Jewish school. Why? Because the Jewish school taught them what man's, what they, they taught them, he, they taught the, the Pharisees from man's perspective, not God's perspective. Well, are you sure about that? Yeah, let's read on. I'm going to show it to you. But he comes right out of the gate. Paul comes right out of the gate in the letter, and he said, I'm not coming to you in the education of a man. He says, and all the brethren which are with me, onto the churches of Galatia. So he had several people that were traveling with him, and he writes this letter to Galatia. He said, grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. So he greets them in the name of the Father. He greets them in the name of Jesus. Now, well, that takes some—that takes some gumption, there, Paul. You're talking—you're talking on behalf of God. Well, yeah. Why? Because he's got the Holy Ghost that lives on the inside. He's got the Holy Ghost. He can speak for him. That's the job of the Christian in the earth today: is to speak for the speak for the living God. Look at this, verse four. He said, "Who gave himself." Uh, for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God our Father. Now, check that out. You need to underline will of God. So many people say, well, you just don't know what the will of God is. Well, this verse right here tells us part of his will. This verse right here tells us that uh, Jesus gave himself for our sins that we might, that he, that he through the work of the cross, might deliver us from this present evil world. From the present evil world. What is evil about the world? Sin. Jesus came to deliver us from sin. But notice he said um, that he might. He might. The work that he did to deliver us was a complete work. But it's up to us to choose to take part in that work. And Paul was letting, letting them know, this is your choice to take part. He said to him, be glory forever and ever. Amen. This was his greeting. This was his opening. But in the greeting, he tells us part of God's will. And he tells us that he was not taught by man. Isn't that interesting? But by God. Then he says in verse 6, he said, I marvel. And I'm right here with Paul. I do the same thing. I look at people who have been in the church. I look at people who have received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I look at people who have been set free from their sins. They're living clean. They're living right. They've got the blessings of God flowing. They've got the gifts of the Holy Ghost moving. And before you know it, they're right back in the same stuff that they came out of. I marvel with Paul. I marvel with Paul. He said, I marvel That you are so soon removed from Him. Look at this. From Him that called you into the grace of Christ onto another gospel. He said, you, God, He said, He said the Father God called you. Each and every person that comes into the kingdom of God, there's a calling on the inside. There's a draw on the inside. There's a draw of every person ever born on this planet. But these were the people that responded to the call. And he said, not only were you called, but you responded. And you're so easily removed. Listen, being removed from, from the grace of Christ is a choice on your part. And this, was a, this is not just a problem we see today, but this was a problem in Paul's day. This was a problem in Jesus' day. Remember, Jesus' disciples were one sermon away from leaving him. Remember? And I say that because remember, he preached the sermon about drink my blood and eat my flesh, and they all left him, except for the 12. And he looked at the 12 and said, uh, you want to leave too? And the 12 said, pff, 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 well, we're kind of considering it, but uh, where are we going to go? <laughs> I mean, they were at least honest. They were at least honest. They were like, mm, where are we going to go? Uh, they couldn't have given him that answer if they hadn't considered it. Where are we going to go? Oh, my goodness. And then, and then he gives, and then there's this colon, and this colon explains why they're so easy removed, why they're so easily removed. He said, which is not another. In other words, <laughs> there's people out there that are preaching, I have a new revelation. I have a new revelation. I have a new teaching. I was studying the word, and I figured out that First John 1, 9 is not written to the believer. Now, wait a minute. Did you read the beginning part of First John? Because he specifically said, "I'm talking to the brethren." Come on, First John's not First John one nine's not written to the believer. No, once you come into Christ, you ain't got to repent no more. Uh, that's another gospel. That's another gospel. Uh, that's not what the Bible says. That is not what the Bible says. Just giving you an example giving you an example. Here's another, here's another doctrine. Oh, we got this special Bible, and it's leaking oil, and the oil will fix all your problems. Uh, no, Jesus is the fixer of the problems, not the, not the manifestation of some oil coming out of a Bible, which I honestly, truly, I believe in the beginning the Bible was producing oil, uh, oil as a demonic sign, wonder, and miracle, but they tried to push it so long that when it stopped producing, they faked it. They faked it. But in the beginning it was, but it was by the hands of Satan, not by the hands of God. Oh, you just said something upset somebody. Well, it'll be all right. Uh, It'll be all right. Where did I go, Lord? Whew! Which is not another. In other words, Paul said there's no other gospel. There's only the gospel of Jesus Christ, the one who died on the cross for our sins. There's only one. The only gospel is the gospel that Jesus himself preached. He said, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. In other words, he said there's some people out there, rather they're the religious people, rather they're the Pharisees, Rather, they're pastors, whoever they are, there's people out there that want to pervert and twist the gospel. This is a major problem in the church today. The church today is following a, man, a large percentage, not everybody, but a large percentage of the church world is following a man-made Jesus. A man-made Jesus, many of them are. They want the Jesus that, that never that says "Love." In acceptance, doesn't matter how you live, it doesn't matter what you do. Nothing you do offends God, and every person on the planet makes heaven. It's not what the Bible says. It's not what the Bible says. I'm not. I'm, I don't choose who does go and who doesn't go. Uh, that's their own individual choice, and God is the judge, not us. He said, but there's people that would pervert the gospel of Christ, but. uh but though we, he said, but though we, in other words, if it, he said, if one of us disciples, Paul said, if one of us disciples, if one of us apostles, if one of us, he said, or an angel from heaven, now we see that, and, I, and I've read that a bunch of times, and I've never thought twice about it, an angel from heaven, but um, angels can't preach the gospel. Angels can't preach the gospel. The spiritual angels, spiritual beings that are servants to the to the heirs of salvation, spiritual beings they cannot they are incapable of preaching the gospel. All they can do is say what God give with the message that God gives them to give, and they only respond to Scripture. But we learn through our study in um, Revelation that an angel can, it, the word angel literally means messenger and sometimes means pastor. Sometimes means pastor. And so when I went and I looked this up, it's the same Greek word that we see everywhere, um, it, the word angel. Now that's actually the Greek word is angel, and it translates to uh, messenger. Uh, but it actually, there's a little notation that says uh, in in certain situations, specifically a pastor. So look at this. He said, "But though we, in other words, a traveling minister or a pastor from heaven, a god, a pastor, or, comes to you, comes to you and preaches any other gospel unto you than they which uh, we have preached unto you, let him be accursed." That word, accursed. That word, accursed actually means uh, to be um, separated, to be brought down. Uh, it means to, uh, he said, it means to um, send them away isolated. It means to separate. He said, let them be separated, let them be ignored. That's the word I was listening for, looking for. Let them be ignored. He said, verse 9, um, as we said before, so say I now again. How much you know in his prior letters he talked about not listening to these people? He said, I say it again. If any man preach, he makes it very clear. If any, if any, that word man is italicized. He said, if any preach any other gospel um, unto you, um, then that that you have received, because they've received the gospel of Christ, let him be accursed, let him be separated, let him be isolated, let him be ignored, in other words, don't listen to him. Okay, all right, Paul, you're giving us some good information right here in Galatians chapter 1. He said, um, now verse 10 is really cool. He said, for do I now uh, persuade man or, man or God? He said, he, asked, he said, Paul said, am I trying to persuade man or am I trying to persuade God? He said, or do I speak to please men? Now listen, when you step into serving God, this is a situation that you're going to have to face. You're going to have to face, am I all about... Because many people, many, many, many people are consumed with pleasing the men and women around them, pleasing their parents, pleasing their children, pleasing their boss, pleasing their friends. And Paul said... And, and, and this is what Paul said. He said, um, he said, "Listen, am I here to persuade men or to persuade God? Many people are trying to persuade God. Listen, many people are trying to persuade God. Have you ever heard people somebody say, Oh, oh, me and God, we 've got a deal. They're trying to persuade God. These preachers in the pulpit saying, You can live however you want, and you still make heaven ever because God 's a good God, and he ain 't going to let anybody go to hell." Um, they're trying to persuade God. They're trying to persuade God. Paul said, no, no, no. He said, or do I seek to please men? (laughs) And then Paul answers the question. He answers his own questions. He said, for if I yet pleased men, I should not be a servant of Christ. If your number one concern is the people around you, what will the people think? What will, how will the people take it? How will the people respond? Well, I don't want to disappoint this person. I don't want to disappoint that person. I don't want to influence this person wrongly. I don't want this person to be upset with me. I don't want, I've got to, I've got to make sure that this person thinks good of me. If that's your concern, you can't serve Christ. That's what Paul said. That's what Paul said. That's even what Jesus said in other contexts. He said, Oh, he said this verse eleven. He said, But I cert, he said, but I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached unto me is not after man. He said he, Paul said uh, the gospel that I heard was not concerned about man's opinion. The gospel that I that I received was not God's opinion. What gospel did he receive? How much do you know Jesus spoke to him personally? Jesus preached himself to Paul personally. And he said, the gospel that I received is not of man. The gospel that we receive in our heart is not of man. Look at verse 12. Again, he makes this point. For the second time, he makes this point. He said, for I neither received it of man. He said, I didn't receive the gospel from man. Neither was I taught it. But by revelation of Jesus Christ, we stand, two-thirds of our New Testament, close to two-thirds of our New Testament, is written by Paul. And Paul said, I was not taught these things by man, but I received it by revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, Pastor Mike and I have not been to Bible school. We've done lots of studying, lots of teaching, lots of training. And I begged and I pleaded with God for years to send me to Bible school. And he said, nope. And in fact, when a situation changed in the Bible school that I wanted to go to, my pastor who was going to send me to that Bible school once we, he and I both got clearance to go, came to me and said, now that this has happened, he said, for you to go to that school will mess you up because of how God uses you. But I'm a tangible person. I want tangible teaching. And I, and I, I mean, I just cried and boo hooed to God. And I said, God, God, God. And finally, one day, the Lord spoke to me. He said, no. He said, I don't want a man to teach you. I want you to be taught by my spirit. How many of you know that's biblical? To be taught by the spirit is biblical. Now, is it wrong to go to school? No, it's not wrong. No, it's not wrong. Some people need that. But I'm going to tell you, if you don't learn how to be taught by the Holy Ghost first, you, some of these, some of this theolo, some of this stuff from these theologians will mess you up, because because most Bible most Bible schools, though they're very good in what they teach, and most of it absolutely I agree with, but there are certain principles that I don't agree with because the Holy Ghost taught me differently, and I'm going to put the Holy Ghost above what. The theologians say, I'm going to put what the Holy Spirit says, because he is the spirit of truth above what the theologians say. So I had, so God said, now I'm going to teach you by my spirit. And I see things in the word that, I mean, I stand around I, I stand around some ministers that have degrees in theology, that have doctorates in theology. I mean, they know theology better than I do. By far, they know it. They know the history of the Bible way, way more than I do. But I can look at them and go, now, that's not agreement with the word. Why? Because my spirit has taught me differently. He said this. He said, neither did I receive it. Of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. As you study the word, you need to say, when every time I pick up my Bible, every single time I pick up my word, I say, okay, God, teach me. Why? Because the teacher is on the inside. Every time I pick up a teaching book, I say, Father, teach me. And he teaches me. Now, I've picked up, I've gotten to where I can eat the hay and spit out the sticks. And now I can go back and I can read some teachings that are good teachings but have a lot of man's opinions in them. And I can go, that's of man, this is of God. That's of man, this is of God. And I can pick the hay and spit out the sticks. But that takes time. That takes time. And Paul said this. Paul said, no, he said, I... Didn't receive it of man, neither was I taught it, but by revelation. What is revelation? Revelation is when you get the word down in your spirit. How do you get your word in your spirit? Meditating on it, reading it, speaking it, talking it over with God, talking to God repeatedly. Just putting the word before God and saying, okay, God, this is what the scripture says, and this is what I get, but what about this? And, and I begin to ask and question God about it, and I'm talking it over with him. And as I talk it over with him, he begins to reveal things to me. Now, I'm using my brain to talk it over, but my spirit is bringing up the subject matter. God doesn't talk to your brain. God speaks to your spirit, but your spirit connects to your brain so that you can have an understanding Many, many people try to come to God through the brain. Many, many, many. I know a lot of people that read the Bible through cover to cover every single year, and they have no spiritual understanding. Why? Because they're trying to get it with their brain, and they're not catching it with their spirit. What is revelation? Revelation is when you catch the understanding of the word with your spirit. And when your spirit grabs the understanding and it sends it to the brain, that's that light bulb moment. That's that aha moment. That's that moment where you call the pastor and go, Pastor, oh, my gosh, let me tell you what I just figured out. And I go, yep. And they're like, why are you not excited? And I'm like, I'm thrilled that you just got it. But, man, it took you a long time. (laughs) I've only been preaching it a 100 times. Come on now. No, because re, when Revelation hits, it makes it. When Revelation, listen, when Revelation hits, and I understand this because I mean, Revelation will hit my spirit, and I'll go run into Mom or I'll go run into Mike or who's ever nearby, and I'm like, let me tell you, let me tell you, let me tell you what I see. And I explain it to them, and they look at me like a cow at a new gate. And I'm like, you are not getting this. And I go, okay, let me explain it this way. Da-da-da-da-da. And they just look at me like a cow at a new gate. And I'm like, okay, let me try this. We did it. And they look at me like a cow in Newgate. And that, and now, because I've said it three times, my husband, and I can tell, his face is getting glazed and his jaw is tightening because he's like, do we have to beat this dead horse? And I'm like, okay, Jesus, just give it to him. I'll just keep it between me. It's all good. <laughs> like, so I understand when you get that revelation, you want to share it and you want somebody to get it, but they don't always get it. But okay, but. That's what revelation is, is when there's that excitement. That's when you know revelation is hit. And he said, on the, but this is amazing. Well, how did, how did Paul learn everything that he learned? Paul did not come off the road of Damascus and go immediately to preaching. This is such a problem in the church. Somebody gets born again. Somebody's on fire for God. And everybody has one sermon. Their sermon is their testimony. Everybody has at least one sermon. And, man, they can preach their testimony, and, I mean, they can say it with excitement, and they get, woo and you're like, ah, they're amazing pastors. No, they got one good sermon. <laughs> they got one good sermon. And they go, oh, my God, that was amazing. You're called to be a preacher. Get up there. And they throw them in the pulpit, and they expect him to preach that way every week. Well, they can't. Because they only have one or two good sermons. They only have one good revelation. The revelation of Jesus Christ. So how did Paul get to where he had all of these amazing revelations? The next few verses tell us. The next few verses. And I see this with the teenagers, too. They get on fire for God. They get born again. They get baptized in the Holy Ghost. They're praying in tongues. And revelations are hitting and revelations are hitting. And they're they're constantly coming to you as a youth minister. And they're going, Pastor, God gave me a sermon. And I go, ah, good. Write it down. When the Holy Spirit tells us to, we'll let you share your sermon. And that day never comes. And they're like, why? And I'm like, because that was a revelation for you. Everything God's going to take care of you and teach you personally before he's ever going to use you publicly. And that's a great sermon. That's a great revelation. And that's awesome. But it was for you and what you need in that moment. Because not only is the revelation great, but there's also a lot of wrong thinking in there, too. (laughs) Why? Because they're new at it. They're new at it. But check out what Paul does. Paul does something amazing. Verse 13. He says, for you have heard of my conversation or my lifestyle in time past in the Jewish religion. Notice he said Jewish religion. He, he understood this was a religion. He said, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church. Which means, that word persecuted means he caused that church to be on the flee. To, 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 to flee and to move and to just, he said, um, and he said, I persecuted, causing the church to run away and wasted it. He laid out the church. I mean, he just brought it to total ruin. That was how Paul behaved when he had religion. And how much, you know, that's how people behave today when they have religion. But then he gives a, and, but then there's that, that ever so lovely, we love the colons, because that means an explanation is coming. He said, and profited in the Jewish religion Above many my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my father, in other words, I mean he was a Jew of Jew to the point that he had prosperity, he had of every area he had um he had status, i mean he had zeal he had, i mean you name it, he had it even above his equals he was he was looked at as the who 's who he said. But check this out. He said, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. Paul recognized that even though he was Jewish, God separated him from his mother's womb and at that same time called him into the fellowship of Christ. He said, he said to reveal his son in me. Notice he said, God called me that I might reveal Jesus in my flesh. That's what he's talking about. He said, he said, he called me to reveal his son in me. In other words, when you look at Paul, you should see Jesus. When you look at us, you should see Jesus. That's what we're called to. We're called to live and breathe and move and be a living example of Jesus Christ. We're not called to sin. We're called to be an example of Christ. And Paul recognized this. He said, he said, look check this out. He said to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen. So Paul said, I reckon in this letter to Galatia, he said, God has called me to preach to the heathens. In other words, he called me to preach to those that live under a different religion. He's called me to preach to the world. Paul was, Paul was not called to the Jews. Paul was called to the Gentiles and to the heathens. Pastor Mike and I are not called to the streets as an evangelist. We're called to the church to mature the church. And I knew that. And Pastor Mike knew that. And people would talk to me. People would come and say, hey, we want you to be on our evangelist team. And I'd go, I mean, it almost made me nauseous. Because Not because... Listen, does that mean that I don't reach out to people with Christ? No, I do. But it's on a one-to-one basis. It's on a personal basis. It's people that I come in contact in within my circle. But I'm not gifted to stand on the street corners or to get on a platform at an event and preach Christ. That's not who I am. Now, I had a pastor that was gifted in that. I mean, every time that man preached Christ, you wanted to get saved again. But... But that's not my calling. That's not Pastor Mike's calling. Our calling is to teach you in the church, to help grow you up. And Paul said this. Remember he said and he was was an apostle. One of the jobs of an apostle is to go into areas where there is no Christ and push back the darkness and preach Christ. He was called to the heathen. He said, now check this out. Check this out because many, there's many in this room tonight that know and recognize that you have a call on your life. There's several in this room that believe that. But look at what he said. He said, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Paul did not ask his Jewish parents. Paul did not ask his Jewish cousins or brothers. Paul did not ask for the, he did not go to the Pharisees and said, okay. Neither did Paul ask his own mind or his own soul. Paul did not ask his thoughts and his feelings, well, God's calling me to go preach to the heathens. How do you feel about that? His flesh would have said, uh, you're a Jew. His flesh would have said, uh, you persecuted them. Do you think they're going to listen to you? Uh, who do you think you are that you can, that you can, you know, uh, pull people out of their homes and murder them? And now God wants to use you? I don't think so. How much do you know? His own head would have gotten in his way. So Paul said, I did not confer with flesh and blood. He didn't confer with the people around him, and he did not even confirm. He did not even talk to himself. Listen, when God called me into ministry, I did not do this until I found this verse. When I found this verse, oh. Because my thing was, What's my mom gonna think? What's my husband gonna think? What's my dad gonna think? Oh dear Lord, what is my sister gonna think? Oh man, that's gonna be a big problem. Oh, and then there's the aunt. Oh man, that's gonna be a problem too. <sighs> oh, and then no, well, there's me. You know, I've got that learning disability, and I'm on that second grade reading level, and yeah, mm, yeah, I just I I don't know Jesus. I'm a nobody. And then I found the verse over in Corinthians that said, "God uses the, the least and the foolish things in the world to confound the wise." I said, "Well, I qualify there. <laughs> I qualify there. Jesus, I do qualify there. Look, how much you know, you don't ask yourself. don't ask your family. don't ask your friends. Ask your spirit. When God puts something in your heart, even if you're not called to ministry. If God puts it in your heart to be a doctor, then you have the ability to be a doctor. If God gives you the if God puts it in your heart to be a civil servant, then be a civil servant. If God puts it in your heart to be a plumber, welder, whatever, go do that. What's in your heart? Don't ask the people around you. Do whatever God tells you to do. But check this out. He he said, "I didn't confirm he said, "I didn't confer with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem." He did not. He did not leave Damascus and went immediately to Jerusalem, which was the center of the New Testament church. He did not go run to the New Testament church. Now, wait a minute. How, what, what did he do? Let's find out. He said, "He said neither went I um, up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me." He didn't, go, he didn't go to Peter, James, John, any of them. He didn't go to any of them. He didn't go to Mark. He didn't go to any of them. He said, but I went to Arabia. He went to Arabia. Why did he go to Arabia? Because at the southernmost point of Arabia is where Mount Sinai is. Because he was a Jew... And he followed Jewish law and he went to the place where Moses met with God. He went to Arabia. He got away from all of the religion, he got away from the normalcies of life. He went down to Arabia and then uh, returned again to Damascus. He actually had to go, he actually could have gone right through Jerusalem. Uh, to get to Damascus, but no, he went around another way, he went, he left where he, he went from Damascus, all the way down to Mount Sinai, down into Arabia, excuse me, and then he went back up to Damascus, what was he doing, he was separating himself, so that he could spend time with God, he was traveling by foot, he was giving God time, to root out the religion, and put in the things of God. So many, so often when we have a call of God, we're so busy that we want to just jump out there and run into what God's called us to that we don't take the time to separate ourselves and allow God to teach us, allow God to cleanse us. How much you know, Paul had a lot of religious things to unlearn. He had a lot of... A lot of religious things that he had to unlearn. He had to, because they didn't have the New Testament. He had to go back through the old scriptures and he had to allow the Father God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, to reveal Jesus to him through the Old Testament. Because that's what he had to preach Christ out of, was the Old Testament. So he, had to, so he wanted to go to this place. And I guarantee you, as he went up that mountain, I guarantee you, as he went down into Arabia and he went to Mount Sinai, I guarantee you the Lord began to speak to him and began to talk to him about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Do you know that, we're going to see this, I'm not going to get to it today, but did you know that, that um, Abraham actually, he came out of the land of, of Canaan, past the land of Canaan, and he went into the land of Egypt, and during his time with God, and while he was in Egypt, uh, God spoke to him, and then he had to come out of Egypt, and he came out of Egypt very, very, very rich, Abraham did, Abraham did, he, basically what am I telling you, the children of Israel did the same track that Abraham did hundreds of years prior, and had the same outcome. And had the same outcome. We look, at the, we look at the children of Israel and how they came out of Egypt. But we never look at how Father Abraham came out of Egypt. i will show it to you probably next week. Unless God changes the direction. It's amazing. He said then after three years. So he took, it took him three years to take this journey. Three years it was just him and God. I tell, I tell new, to new, new believers, I said, listen, you're going to go through a, a time of separation. You're going to go through a time of loneliness. You're going to go through a time when it's going to be just you and God. Don't despise it. Take it and learn from it. Guess what? Paul did the same thing for three years. Why? Because that lonely time is a time where you will get to spend with God and you'll be able to be intimate with God on a level like you've never been before. And you're going to need that because once you step into what God has called you to, whether it's ministry or full-time career or a mother or a father, whatever you're called to, once you step into the fullness of that calling, you're going to find it's very hard to get alone time with God. You're going to find it's very, very hard to get that that three years where it's just you and God, where it's just you and God. And he said, and he said, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. So he's on, this, he's on this journey for three years. He gets back home. At some point later, he goes back to Jerusalem, and he sits with Peter. And he begins to discuss things with Peter and talked with Peter about some things. It says, and now the things, oh, I'm sorry, verse 19. But other, but other of the apostles saw I none save James, the Lord's brother. During those 15 days, <clears throat> the only one he saw other, other than uh, Peter was James, was James. And uh, he says, now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. He said, afterwards, I came into the regions of uh, Syria and, Cis, and, and Cilicia and was unknown by the face onto the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. Now, Syria is way up in the north. The New Testament churches were down in the south. Paul, God said, Paul. Don't go back down to the churches where you were persecuting them. He said, Paul, don't go down there. Don't go down there. Stay up here in the northern regions. So many people, when they come into Christ, they want to go back to their friends and families and get them into Christ. That doesn't work most of the time. That doesn't work because most of the time you're going to get pulled back into the same lifestyle that you were in. And the other problem is is most of them won't listen to you because they know your old character and they refuse to see your new character. So even Paul didn't go back down there. He said, uh, "He said, and I was unknown by faith unto the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. He didn't even go to the New Testament churches. He, they had heard that he was preaching, but they never saw him. It says, but they heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preaches the faith which once he destroyed and they glorified God in me and they glorified God in me i want to read just the next two i want to read you this the next verse uh, chapter 2 verse 1 then 14 years after so there was a the 3 year journey then there was the 15 days with, with peter and then he went up into the north and started preaching and 14 years later after i went up again to jerusalem with barnabas and took Titus with me also. Listen, Paul, who wrote two-thirds of our New Testament, did not even preach to the original New Testament churches till 17, 18 years after his Damascus Road experience. Don't be in a rush. Don't be in a rush. Don't be in a rush. Don't be slow and behind God, but don't be in a rush either. Take your alone time with God. Take your time to get before him and seek him. Take time to pray. Take time to allow God to root out the things that need to be rooted out and take the time to allow God to deposit the revelations that you need. Take time. It's amazing what we can learn from the Gospels or or from the Gospels when we take time to sit down and say, okay, God, teach me. Teach me. Don't be quick to receive everything that man says about the Bible. Let the Holy Spirit teach you. Now, we've got good teachers. We've got Reverend, I mean, we've got all this stuff out here by Reverend uh, Kenneth Hagan and we've got some stuff out there by. Uh, uh, Reverends Larry and Angela Keaton, and we've got some stuff out there by Charles Capps. And I tell you, you know, Reverend Rick Renner's another good one. Uh, Reverend, Joel, John Osteen, Reverend John Olstein, Reverend John Olstein, he's another good one. Uh, 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 Oral Roberts is a good one. You know, all of these people, you know, the old fathers of the faith, Smith Wigglesworth, you know, those guys, they're, they're great to learn from. But even when you read their stuff, even when you listen to their stuff, even when you get online and you listen to those old sermons by Lester sumrall I mean, he'll just, whew, he'll latch you up and skin you one side down the other. When you get on there and you listen, that's good. But listen with your spiritual ear and let God begin to teach. Let God begin to reveal. Let God be your teacher. And that will help you a lot. That will help you a lot. That will take out a lot of confusion. Well, glory to God. Praise the Lord. Uh, I don't know exactly who, how we're going to go at this from this point because uh, I started to look into chapter 2 and I realized, well, Lord, we can't really get too much farther into this until we look at circumcision and until we look at uh, being crucified and what that means and what that looks like. Uh, so... Um, we might be talking about that next week. God might take us in a totally different direction. I don't know. We're going to let the Father lead. We're going to let the Spirit lead. Uh, but listen, if you'll take time to let the Lord teach you, woo, it'll be amazing. Father, we come to you. Mr. Derek, if you'll come as you can. Uh, Father, we come to you in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy. Father, we've learned that the Holy Spirit is our teacher and that he teaches all thing, teaches us all things and he teaches us the truth. Yes, Lord, I'll say that. Thank you, Father. Real quick, I want to say this. God does not... God is not opposed to learning from men, but take what you learn from men and let God sift out. Let God sift out what's man and what's God. Let him sift out what's man and what's God. Because... Because he's taught a lot of good people. He's taught a lot of people good things. But we got to make sure we sift it out. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your kindness. Father, it's been such a joy and a pleasure to be with your people tonight. And, Father, I've preached myself happy. And, yes, Lord.